Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 13. We'll read it in just a moment. If you want to go ahead and get ready there. By way of introduction, there is a uh, famous phrase that we've certainly all have quoted at some time in our life. I'll be the judge of that. I'll be the judge of that. Have you tried this restaurant? No, it's really great. I'll be the judge of that. Have you heard this song? It's my favorite song. It's so good. It's perfectly written. I'll be the judge of that. We sure love to put ourselves in the position of of judge, don't we? We love to sit high and look down and judge, cast our judgments forward. In fact, there are apps these days for judging. You ever heard of Yelp? Some of you have heard about it. Yelp allows you, it is an app solely dedicated to hear your judgments of a place. Imagine if they had that for people. Boy, we'd all get one star, wouldn't we? But it's, that's all it's for, is you go on there and you tell people about your judgment about a particular establishment, whether it be a restaurant or a store or a a service that's rendered, you get to cast your judgment. Hear ye, hear ye, the great Matt Cavazos declares, Chick-fil-A is awesome, or this other restaurant is not so great, or this one time I went to this one place and it had a bad experience. And really Yelp just allows you to know that Jack from Minnesota didn't have such a great experience one time at this restaurant. But we love it. Anybody who's ever done online shopping, you're aware of leaving a judgment. I mean, we call it a review. But it's really a judgment of, this is what I think about XYZ product, even though I'm not an expert, I'm just a regular person. Here is my expert opinion about this product or this service. Retail establishments, they ask you to judge them. They invite you to fill out a survey. Please judge us. Oh my goodness, we can't wait for you to judge us. But judge us well. Please give us five stars. We also love to judge one another, don't we? We love to judge each other's salvation. We're quick to call somebody else's salvation into account. Well, did you see what he said? Did you see what she was wearing? You need to pray for hermana so-and-so because she's a cochina. And it's funny, but that's what we do, right? And what are we doing? Calling somebody else's salvation into account when we're full of gossiping hearts. We're quick to do this. And let's understand, Jesus said, by all means, we need to hold one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to hold one another accountable to what's written. But the person that we need to hold most accountable is the one who stands in the mirror. You. Jesus said, don't worry about their speck. What about the log in your eye? Take care of yourself first. We don't ever examine ourselves, do we? We don't like to ask ourselves, am I really saved? We'll do it about everybody else. I don't know if she's saved, brother. I don't know if he's saved, sister. I don't know. But do we ever ask that about ourselves? Do we ever examine our own hearts? Do we ever go before God and ask Him, 
Search me and know me. See if there's any wickedness in me. Because I long to please you, God. So don't leave anything in me that's not pleasing to you, God. I'm not worried about what they're doing. I don't care that she went and got drunk last night. I don't care. Search me. When we stand before the great white throne of judgment, God's not going to ask you about Edmana or Edmano. He's going to ask you about you. So wouldn't it be better if we now, in the present, take the time to examine ourselves and make sure that we are on the narrow way and make sure that indeed the Spirit of God does reside within me. With that in mind, please stand and let's read our passage. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Understand, this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired, authoritative Word of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you asking to search us and know us this morning, Lord. God, I pray that as I speak this morning that the meditations and motivations of my heart would be pleasing before you. I pray that I would serve as nothing more than just a humble servant communicating your word, not my thoughts. I pray that the soil in our hearts is fertile ground for you this morning. Lord, I pray that you deal with us. Deal with us and help us to examine ourselves according to your scriptures this morning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Our title this morning is Cross-Examination. In modern-day evangelism, this precious doctrine of regeneration has been reduced to nothing more than a human decision to raise one's hand, walk an aisle, or pray a sinner's prayer. As a result, the majority of Americans think that they have been born again, even though their thoughts, words, and deeds are a continual contradiction to the nature and will of God. These are the words of Paul Washer. This morning, ask yourself, have you truly been transformed by the power of God? Have you been brought from death to life? I ask you this morning, don't hold up this checklist against other people's lives this morning. Hold it up against your life. Examine yourself, not the person next to you, yourself. And let us not be hasty in our answer. Yes, of course, of course I'm saved. I've been in church for 86 years. Yes, of course I'm saved. I was born and conceived in the baptism, the baptistry. Of course I'm saved. I, I, wrote, I raised my hand that time at youth camp. Of course I'm saved. I, I checked the box on the card that said I wanted to go to heaven. Of course I'm saved. I have the t-shirt. Of course I'm saved. This, that, and the other. Let's not be hasty in our answers. Because we are quick to deceive ourselves. Why? Because we don't want to be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to examine ourselves. Yet, this is what the Holy Spirit, through the hand of the Apostle Paul, commands us to do. This is written in the imperative, which means a command, which means you do this. You examine yourself. Test yourself. And this is a thorough investigation 
This is a cross-examination, if you will. This is a call many witnesses to the witness stand, and let's thoroughly interrogate my own heart. I don't want to be deceived. Because nobody can lie to you like you. Nobody can get you to believe something that's not true like you. We're good at it, aren't we? We're so good at it. So let's examine ourselves. Let's call witnesses to the witness stand and allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to render the final verdict. Our first witness that we're going to call to the stand is regeneration. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. If you have the bulletin, you already know where we're headed here. John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to go ahead and go forward because we're going to do a lot of flipping around. So John chapter 3, we're going to be verses 1 through 11. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Truly, truly. That word actually means amen, amen. What he's saying is, listen up. Listen to what I'm telling you, Nicodemus. What I'm telling you is absolutely important. You've got to listen to what I'm telling you, Nicodemus. Regeneration. What is regeneration? Think back to when you first committed yourself to Christ. Think back to when you made a profession of faith. Where were you? Were you at youth camp? Were you at a church? Were you at a stoplight? Were you in your room? Were you in a hospital? Where were you when you called upon the Lord as Savior? Most importantly, have you been born again? Did your profession equal just words being spoken? Or was your profession that of new life being birthed in your heart? Nicodemus, who is this man? He's coming to Jesus in the cover of night. Obviously, he's ashamed. Obviously, he doesn't want to be seen by people. And why? Well, he was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews, and as you know, the Pharisees hated Jesus. They eventually crucified Jesus. They were constantly at odds with Jesus, and as such, the Pharisees get a really bad rap in all our, all our minds, right? There's a really negative connotation whenever we hear the word Pharisee. But they were very, very righteous people. The Mosaic Law had over 600 laws that the Jews had to follow. And because the Pharisees were so zealous uh, in their pursuit of righteousness, 
They said, God draws the line here. We don't want to get close to it. We're going to draw it over there. They created over 600 additional laws in, on top of the Mosaic law. I mean, these guys were about that life. <clears throat> these guys were really, really serious about serving God. They knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They knew the Torah. They knew the prophets. They knew the prophecies. These guys were experts. They were devoted tithers. They were devoted evangelists. At one point, Jesus says that they cross land and sea to make just one disciple. And we won't even talk to our neighbors. They would cross land and sea to make one disciple. These men were zealous for righteousness. Zealous, passionate to be righteous. Jesus says of them in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness, your righteousness, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You're not getting in unless you're more righteous than a Pharisee. Wow. That is a terrifying statement. More, more righteous than a Pharisee? And here Nicodemus is not just a Pharisee, he's also a ruler of the Jews. And as Jesus calls him, the teacher in Israel. So where the Pharisees were already experts and already zealous and already very righteous, Nicodemus was all the more so. Because he was a ruler, he was a teacher, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The royal, the, not the royal, but the council of the time. And here he comes to Jesus. What does he open up with? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. We know, Jesus, that you're a teacher. What does he call him? Rabbi. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with them. He came to Jesus acknowledging that he had to be from God. Only, only someone from God can do what Jesus has done. So he understood the importance of who this man was, but still, what does he open up with? Not Lord, not my God, not Savior, Rabbi, teacher. It was undoubtedly a mark of respect that Nicodemus was showing him. But he wasn't saying, Lord. Kulios, Lord, Lord, save me, because I know you're from God. He calls him rabbi. What does Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus hasn't had his eyes opened yet. Can you believe it? This man who was so righteous and so zealous and the teacher in Israel, this man hadn't had his eyes opened yet. This man knew nothing. Jesus says, yeah, you know I'm rabbi. You know that I'm from God, but you, don't, you haven't seen a thing, Nicodemus. Why? Because you must be born again. What does this tell us? I can be in church all my life and not be born again. I can sing all the songs in the world and never be born again. I can never say a cuss word, never touch another bottle of beer, and live a very moral life and not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Notice what Jesus says, you must be born again. Some Bibles has red letters there. That means this is Jesus. That means if we're going to disagree, we're disagreeing with Jesus Christ himself. You must be born again. That's not an option. That is an imperative. You have to. There's no other option. 
You must be born again, not you must be a church member, not you must be a consistent tither, not you must do these other things, only be born again. Have you been born again? Has this happened to you? Because without it, dear friends, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Someone like Nicodemus can't. If he can't see the kingdom of God, simply by virtue of his own righteousness, of his own devout uh, dedication to the law of God, if he can't automatically just get a pass to get into the kingdom of God, what chance do you or I have? I ask myself that. If this guy's not in, I'm not even close to being in. I stand no chance apart from the new birth. Jesus answers the question that Nicodemus wasn't even asking. He says, Nicodemus, oh, Nicodemus, you know a lot. You're zealous. You pursue righteousness. You know the Torah. You're a great teacher. You're a member of the law. You're this, you're that. And the other, but the one thing that you're not is the one thing that you need to be. You're not born again. You must be born again, Nicodemus. And in the same way to you and I, we must be born again. You've seen many miracles performed by my hand, Nicodemus, but you're missing the point. Unless you're born again, you haven't seen anything. You're blind to the realities of who God is. You're blind to the beauty of Christ. You're blind to the treasures found in this book. You're blind to the, to the nearness in prayer that you feel to God. You're blind to the majesty of He who sits on high. You're blind to the holiness of God. You're blind unless you've been born again. The term Jesus uses here, born again, actually means born from above. Unless you've been born from above, Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God. You gotta love Nico's response here. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What is he saying? You see, I, I, I have been living this righteous life, Jesus. I have memorized the Torah. I have become a teacher in Israel. I am a member of the Sanhedrin. I am the one coming to speak to you. I am this, that, and the other. And Jesus says it's not enough. Nicodemus says, what must I do? What must I do, Jesus? I've done all these other things. If there's only one more step, then I'll do it. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. I'm respected in the community. I have the best seats in the house. So what do I need to do? I'll do it. Verse 5. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is it to be born again? To be born again is to be given eyes to see the kingdom of God. The life-giving spirit of God living inside of a man. To be born again is to have a rebirth of water and spirit that allows you entrance into the kingdom of God. Without this birth, we do not see the kingdom of God here and we do not enter into the kingdom of God in the next life. If you do not have this rebirth, my friend, you are not Christian. Only those who are born again. Has this happened to you? Or are you like Nicodemus, relying on all the things that you've done in your life? Jesus shows us that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
And that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is Spirit, lowercase s. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How many people? Pastors? So it is with pastors who have been born of the Spirit? So it is with prophets who have been born of the Spirit? No, everyone. So it is with everyone who has been born of the Spirit. We must ask ourselves then, has that happened to me? Because I'm part of everyone. I'm, I'm part of everyone. Has this happened to me? Nicodemus responds in verse 9, How can these things be? What do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean in comparing this new birth to the blowing of the wind? You see, we do not cause the wind, do we? We cannot find the storehouses of the wind, can we? We cannot give people the ABCs of wind harnessing, can we? We cannot grasp the wind. We cannot even see the wind. But we most certainly can hear the sound. We can see its effects. We can feel the wind, whether it's a cool, gentle breeze on a summer's eve or the mighty rushing winds of a hurricane. We are very aware of the presence of wind. And so it is with this new birth. When the Spirit of God comes upon a man, he knows it. It might be as gentle as the breeze, or it might be as sudden and furious as gale force winds. Either way, you know it when it happens to you. Why? Because you can see its effects in your life. You can hear the wind of the Spirit of God moving through the trees of the garden of your heart. You can see it causing the branches to stir, and all of a sudden, there is life. Your eyes are open to see and cherish the beauty of Christ. Your ears are opened to the life-transforming message of the gospel. Your heart of stone is broken away as the Holy Spirit performs life-giving supernatural surgery in your heart. You then have an awareness of your sinfulness. You become pitifully and painfully aware of the crimes that you have committed against God. You become sorrowfully aware that you have committed cosmic treason against the ancient of days. You know now that I need a Savior. Then comes the first taste of sweet, sweet grace. As you call upon the Lord for salvation. You realize that giving up your sin is a must and you realize that your old nature must die the same death that Christ died. You must kill your sin mercilessly. Your old self must perish along with its habits, ways, desires, thoughts, practices, and speech. Has this happened to you? Or have you just been going to church? Have you been born again? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Not because your bills are paid, not because you have a job, not because you woke up this morning, but because God's Spirit is alive in you. That's what it is to taste and see that He is good. We sing this song that God is so good, not because I have clothes on my back and I have friends to call and family to spend time with, we sing this song because His Spirit is within me. My friends, has that happened to you? Examine yourself. On the last day, the only confession that is going to hold up in the high court of heaven is not that you confessed Christ once in a youth camp, but that Jesus Christ confesses you as His own. That yes, I have put my spirit in him. Yes, she has my spirit in her. Yes, 
They have trusted unto me for salvation. Yes, they were born again. They were marked not for destruction, but for glory. Has this happened to you? Examine yourself. Our confessions can easily be disingenuous. We can fool and deceive ourselves. And that's why Paul in our opening text says, examine yourself. Ask yourself, has this happened to me? You can ignore me. You can tune me out. But one day, you're going to need this. One day, you're going to wish you had examined yourself. Our second witness is a fruit-bearing life. Turn to John 15. We're going to read John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the fine vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see what's happening here. Jesus says, I'm the vine. If you're really in me, if you're really a part of this vine, you're going to bear fruit. <clears throat> As you say, if you're not bearing fruit, then you're just a dead branch on the floor and you're gathered up and you're thrown away. You can be really close to the vine. You might be right next to the vine. But if you're not... In the vine, in Jesus Christ, you won't bear fruit. Does your life bear fruit? Does your life bear fruit? How do you bear fruit? He says in verse 4 that the branch can't bear fruit on its own. Just as Nicodemus found out, all of his outward actions didn't equal fruit. Right? He said, no, Nicodemus, you must be born again. All the stuff you're doing is great, but you must be born again. When you are born again, that is when you bear fruit that lasts. That is when the fruit that you bear pleases the Father. On the outside, a justified, righteous man next to Nicodemus might be living the same kind of life, but the difference that sets them apart is the one who has been born again does it because they have been born again. They do it, they produce good works, they produce good fruits because of the life-giving spirit within them. Have I lost you? Or are you mad at me? You can only bear good fruit if the Spirit of God is in you and if you are in Christ. It's the only way. That's what it says. Read it. Study it for yourself. Am I bearing the fruit of good works? Ask yourself. Am I bearing the fruit of good works? Am I bearing the fruit of obedience to God's commands? Am I bearing the fruit of a love for God? 
Am I bearing the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Are these fruits being produced in my life or not? Because if they're not, dear friends, why? Why is my life not producing fruit? Why do I not have the fruits that please God? Our third witness is a battle against sin. Turn to Ephesians 4. I'm just going to read verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now there are a lot of other places that we could go that say that you are, shouldn't live a lifestyle of sin if you are in Christ. But the reason we went here is because whenever you read the rest of the context around this passage, Paul is writing about new life in Christ. He is saying, don't be doing this, don't be doing this, don't live this way, don't be gossiping about each other, don't be living in sexual immorality, don't be slandering, don't be angry, don't be this, that, and the other, and then right in the middle of it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What does this show us? If I'm doing all of those things, the Holy Spirit within me is grieved. If there is no grieving within you, my friend, the Holy Spirit is not there. If you can sin without any kind of remorse, if you can live in habitual sin and you feel no grieving within you, my friend, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. You have not believed in Christ unto salvation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit within us grieves. He hates sin. He hates it. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not what empowers you to do miracles and empowers you to pray a prayer of faith that gets you a job. The Holy Spirit within you is what makes you more like Christ. The Holy Spirit within you is what kills sin and says, uh-uh, not like that. We don't do that anymore. Put that away. Stop talking like that. Go read, go pray, chase after God, pursue God. That's what the Holy Spirit within us does. And if there is no grieving over your sin, my friends, where is the Holy Spirit? Examine yourself this morning. 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's 1 John 3, 9. Write that down. Memorize that. Read that. Study that. Pray that. No one born of God continues to sin. What does that mean? Fellas, if you can keep looking at that girl's short skirt and it doesn't bother you, there's no Holy Spirit grieving within you, ask yourself if the Holy Spirit is even there. Women, if you can put each other down and backbite one another and there's no grieving of the Holy Spirit within you, ask yourself, is the Holy Spirit even there? Because He will grieve. For his children, for his that belong to God, he will grieve. Why? Because it's that kind of sin that put Jesus on the cross. You think he's going to be okay with it in the life of his children? No. Absolutely not. Does this mean we never sin again? No. Absolutely not. But it means that we can't live in it anymore. It means that there is now a spirit at work within me that says no more. We're not doing this anymore. There is now life here. Be like Jesus.
That, after all, is the point of salvation. When you have been transformed by the Spirit of God, you are indeed a new creation. We love the verse, but we don't ever ask ourselves, am I a new creation? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Am I a new creation? Have old things passed away? Have, have, has the new come? Am I a new creation? Or am I still the same person, just a little bit nicer in public? Am I really in Christ? When you have been born again, that means the Lord has begun a work in you. The work of making you more like Christ. That's what it says in Romans 8.29. You have been predestined before the foundations of the world to be molded and shaped into the image of the Son. And if that is not happening, my friend, have you tasted of life? Examine yourself this morning. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will complete it. You see, the evidence of you being reborn in a Christian is not that at one time you said, I repent. It's that you continue to repent. You continue to put off the old ways. You continue to renounce your sin and chase after Christ. If this is not happening in you, my friend, why? Steve Lawson says, if Jesus has not changed your life, the Jesus you met is another Jesus. To say that I'm a Christian, but I'm not changed, I have not been reborn, is like saying you could go stand on the loop and get hit by a Mack truck and it make no difference to what you look like. Do we mean to say that the Spirit of God is weak? Do we mean to say that God's Spirit at work in you didn't actually work? No. The last witness is a love for the brethren. First John 5.1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? I'm not asking you, we're not asking if you tolerate them. Do you love them? Do you love them as a brother and sister in the Lord? Or do you tolerate them? Just put on appearances because you want to be a good person. Or do you love that person? Do you love them? Our text says that everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of, them, of Him. If you do truly love God, then you will have a love for your brothers and sisters. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Because God is love. Simple. Do you truly love your brothers and sisters? Love for the brethren desires their highest good. And it is an active commitment to sacrificially serve one another. Can you say that about everybody in this church? That yes, that's exactly how I feel about everyone in this church. Yes or no? Let's go further. Do you feel that way about Christians who don't go to this church? <clears throat> who go to Trinity? Who go to wherever? Who have a house church? Do you feel that love for them? If not, my friend, why not? This is how Christ loved us. In desiring the highest good for us, which is himself. He laid down his life for the undeserving. You did not deserve salvation, neither did I. I was the worst sinner. I am the worst sinner I know. I do not deserve salvation. 
And in his long-suffering, incredible mercy, he gave himself for me and for you, desiring the highest good for you, which is giving you himself, which is causing you to be reborn. He went to the cross. He bore the weight of your sin, displaying what it means to sacrificially serve people, the undeserving. He died under the weight of your sin, bearing the wrath of God. Died, rose again, and is right now exalted at the highest place with the name above all names, King of kings, Lord of lords, exalted, magnificent, majestic, Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you call upon him at this hour, turn to him as Lord, repent of your sins, Give them up. What good are they anyway? Look to Christ. Put your faith in Christ alone. You will be saved. The scripture said, you will be born again. You will have new birth. You will have new life. And the same way that Jesus Christ stood outside of Lazarus' tomb where he laid flat and dead, he will call to you outside of the tomb of your heart and say, come forth and you will be birthed into new life. You will then live a life that bears fruit for God's glory. You will then experience a battle against sin. You will hate the sin that you once loved. Love the righteousness you once hated. Christianity is not merely outward. It is not about living a moral life. Christianity is dying to yourself, being reborn into the kingdom of God, and then living the rest of your days as, as a citizen of heaven. Christianity is a dying to yourself and continually dying to yourself. Christianity is a realization that I no longer have a claim to my own life. I am Christ's, and Christ is mine. Then, Christian maturity is not marked by perfect church attendance, but by growing in Christ's likeness. It is not marked by how many verses you've memorized, but how much of the Bible you apply to your life. It is not marked by loving to sing along to worship music, but by living a lifestyle of worship to God. It is not marked by how long it has been since the last time you said a cuss word, but by how much fruit you're bearing unto the glory of God. We have heard from our four witnesses this morning. We have cross-examined them. It is now time to call for a verdict. My friend, are you in the faith or not? Examine yourself. Ask yourself. Pray that the Holy Spirit not let you lie to yourself because you will. Rest assured that we are all the worst sinners that we know. We all are. You will deceive yourself, but don't let that be the case this morning. Has this magnificent life come to you or not? Have you been reborn of water and of spirit or not? If not, behold, today is the day of salvation. Behold, the gates of heaven swing wide open for the lowly and the contrite in heart. The grace of God is poured out lavishly on anyone who would call upon Jesus as Lord, yes, even you. Let's sit. I want you to hear the promise of God from Ezekiel 36. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, 
and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Call upon him today if you never have. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you this morning, Lord, and I've done my part, Lord. I spoke your word, Lord. Now I ask, Father, that you do the work by your spirit, Lord, of getting it from ears to hearts, God. God, please cause us to to be examining ourselves, Lord. To not be content with, yeah, sure, I'm good. But to examine ourselves out of a true love for you, God. And I pray that we pass the test. I pray, God, that we would not leave this undone, Lord. I pray, God, that we would seek you and call out to you, God. I pray that you do a work in our hearts, Lord, like one we have never seen. Lord, for the eyes that need to be opened, Lord, please open them. For the hearts that need to be transformed, please transform them, Lord. And I pray that we live the rest of our lives bearing fruit unto your glory, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.